Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Carrie, and I'm one of the teachers here at Hope Church, and definitely missing Tom and his family and praying for them uh, to recover, as well as Trevor said, for so many others who I know aren't feeling great right now. So we are glad that you are here, and we are, are still in the middle of the series called Abundance. And I was thinking this week, and it reminded me of a story about a horse that maybe you've heard before. I don't know, I must have been between first and maybe fourth grade when I first heard this story. So it's basically, there's this horse and he's stuck in a barn and this horse is miserable. Like he is just miserable and he mopes and by the day he gets mopier and mopier and he talks to the worms or whatever, he's looking down at the ground and I don't remember the whole thing. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I should get bonus points for long-term comprehension on this from my, from my third grade teacher. But, um, but the point is he's miserable and he's got these little critters who are his friends and I don't know if they're beavers or otters or birds or whatever, but they're, they're all around him and they're like, how can we cheer you up? Let's find a way we can cheer you up. So they try all these things and nothing is working and finally they're like, you know what I'm gonna do? We're gonna move your barn over, right? Because if you're, if you're miserable because all you see is the same thing day after day, let's just move your barn over. So they have this like huge attempt and on the count of three, the horse pushes from the inside and they push from the outside. One, two, three, as hard as they can. And nothing happens. That barn is not going anywhere. So if I've got, do I have any kids in here? Yeah, oh, God. Do you, what do you think happened when the barn did not move? Do you think the horse was still happy? Or, or miserable, I mean. Still miserable, that's our guess. So it turns out this is not the smartest of horses. And so he thought that the barn actually had moved. And so when he looked out this time and he looked around, he just was amazed and marveled at the sky and how beautiful it was and the trees. And he just said, this is absolutely gorgeous. And that horse was happy. Now nothing changed, right? Nothing actually changed except for his perspective. And so instead of looking down at the ground, he looked up and he could have sworn he was in a whole new place. And what he saw felt a lot like abundance. And that's what we're talking about today. And if you were here last week, uh, we set up the, the series by talking about kind of what, what abundance isn't first. So we talked about having a scarcity mindset. And we said that scarcity mindset originates with the enemy and it originates with the world. And it's this idea that, that we fear that we're, we don't have enough and we're never going to have enough. And we're constantly afraid that even what we have is going to be taken from us or destroyed and that we're just barely getting by. And we said that that contrasts against God's version, God's abundance, because God is a God of abundance. He's the creator who took from nothing and made everything. He's, as we sing about today, this, this multiplication. I love this idea that our hallelujahs can multiply because God is a God who, who multiplies things. And his kingdom is a picture of multiplication and growth and expansion. And so when we live in this, in this scarcity mindset, it often causes us to live small, possessive lives, like holding on to everything and just barely surviving and not sharing 
And it also causes us to lack holy imagination, right? We said we, we don't often come to God with these big, bold, imaginative prayers because we, we start to limit ourselves based on what we see and what makes sense in our human minds. And so we kind of set up this idea of why, what is scarcity, what is abundance, and why does that matter? And today I want to talk about if, if abundance is so important for us to see, how do we begin to find God's abundance in our lives? And is it like the horse story? Is it as simple as just a perspective shift, or is there something more? So I want to follow that horse story up with another story from the Bible. Um, and the story is, is similar in some ways. Uh, there's no talking horses in this one, but uh, it's the story of Elisha, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, and uh, he was the he came after the prophet Elijah. I don't know why their names are so similar. It makes things very confusing. Um, but he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and so he would hear from God, and he would he performed these miracles, and so he was kind of this way that people would um, stay connected to God, and, and God would speak to His people through this prophet. And you should know that in this, in, as the story begins here. Um, the kingdom of Israel is at war with the king of Aram. And I actually think I have a picture just to give you a little context here. So um, Aram, or the Aram Damascus, is up there in the teal. And then we have uh, the kingdom of Israel just below that there on the left. And so those two, those two countries were at war. And this was maybe the uh, like ninth century BC. And so... Um, they were trying, the, the king of Aram was basically trying to attack the king of Israel. And he's like, I'm going to set up the, I'm going to make these plans. I'm going to set up a trap, basically. I'm going to kill the king of Israel. And the prophet Elisha kept getting, you know, God would give him these, these warnings about where the king was going to be, where, where the traps were going to be set. And so Elisha kept warning the king of Israel, no, you don't want to go there. If you're going to pass through here, you better be on your lookout. And it started to really tick the king of Aram off because he kept getting foiled. And so instead of attacking the king right now, he's like, you know what, forget it. Let's, let's, we're going to have to like, take care of this problem, Elisha. We're going to have to attack him instead. And so one night, uh, Elisha and his servant, they went to sleep, everything was fine. And then we start in 2 Kings uh, verse, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 13 through 18, which says, um, the, the king of Aram says, go send men and capture him. And the report came back that he's in Dothan. That's Elisha. That's where he is. So verse 14, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. So when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, when the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So I just want you to imagine for a second that you go to bed and everything's fine, right? And then you wake up and you're having your coffee and you got your morning paper and you sit out on your porch and you're just relaxing. And then you suddenly realize you're surrounded by whatever would scare you the most, right? Maybe for you that's small children, I don't know. It could be, it could be a SWAT team, it could, be, it could be zombies, whatever. But you are suddenly surrounded by this, this force that is very frightening to you that was not there the night before. And what is your reaction? If you're like this servant, he says, his, his reaction actually sounds kind of calm. Oh no, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I feel like there might have been some extra words there that, that, that we aren't supposed to say. This guy, is, is, he's surprised, right? But Elisha's answer is w way cooler, way, way more calm 
than we would expect either. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you're surrounded, you're completely surrounded and you're terrified and then God opens your eyes and allows you to see a spiritual reality and to realize that the, the forces that are actually for you are more than the forces that are against you. And what's interesting in both the horse story and in the story of Elisha and his servant, um, the circumstances technically hadn't changed, right? Right With the barn, it clearly did not move. And with, with Elisha's servant, they were still clearly surrounded. But in each case, um, there's this moment where they recognize a difference, right? Some, either a perspective shift or they have these eyes to realize the abundance that is there. And I want to suggest that as we're talking about the abundance of God, that part of our journey to experience the abundance of God is to begin to ask God to give us eyes to see his abundance. And I, I'm going to be honest, I don't always think this is simply a perspective shift. And we're going to get there because there's that, that's part of it. But I, I think sometimes we believe that as Christians, it's our job to kind of muster up the things we're supposed to do for God. And we're like, okay, I just have to have a better attitude. I've just got to like change my mindset and I've got to see things differently. And I'm going to be honest, when, when we follow God, when we, um, as Tom said, when we become part of that family, he gives us his spirit and it is the spirit's job to lead us and convict us and to change us ultimately. And so part of what it means, and the first thing I think we need to realize when we are beginning to see and to seek God's abundance is that we have to ask God to give us eyes to see his abundance. We have to ask the spirit to begin to show us the abundance that's all around us, like in the story of Elisha, that we may not even realize is there. Even the psalmist says this in Psalm 119.18. He says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now we might, we might look at God's law, the Bible, and say that's, that's wonderful. It's good, right? But the psalmist is saying sometimes we read God's law and it, it's, it's like, really, that's okay either. It feels boring or it feels like, oh man, that sounds kind of like you're asking me to, to give up something, right? I got to sacrifice something. So we can read God's law, which we would say is good, and we can still struggle to see the goodness in it. And so the, the psalmist is saying, even when we read God's word, we need that spirit sometimes to say, I, I, I need your help to see the goodness here. I need your help to show me how this is life, right? It isn't always obvious to us. And we can miss the goodness and the abundance of God right in front of us. But the beautiful thing is, as I just mentioned, when God gives us his spirit, we actually have access to, to know and see the abundance of God, um, that is, that's our birthright. That's a gift to us through the Spirit. And so I want to look at another passage that I think is really interesting. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. It says this, The Spirit teaches us all, or sorry, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
And I want to pause right there because that verse goes back to last week, right? We don't have a spirit that's from the world, that's, that's making us timid, that's making us afraid, right? That's from the enemy. We have the spirit that is from God, and that allows us to understand what God has freely given us. There again is this picture of abundance. That's the spirit we have. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And this is the key, the key passage here. I know some of that gets a little uh, confusing, but verse 16 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord as, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. So what this passage is kind of saying is we, we have the Spirit, and the Spirit helps us to understand things. It helps us to understand spiritual truth. It helps us to understand what God is, is saying to us. But it also means that we actually have access to the mind and the thoughts and the perspective of Christ. Again, that is our birthright as believers. I want you to think for a minute about that about the fact that you right now at this very moment have access to the mind of Christ. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie uh, What Women Want with Mel Gibson? Few people. I might be dating myself a little bit there. Um, in the movie, Mel Gibson, through a series of strange events, uh, it somehow is able to uh, begin to hear what women are thinking, okay? Which is a little bizarre. Um, and at first, of course, he uses the, the, this ability kind of in his own selfish purposes. And, um, but eventually, eventually, as the story goes on, not that there's this huge moral to that movie, but eventually that, that ability actually teaches him something. It changes him. He starts to have compassion. He starts to have this understanding of someone else that gives him empathy. And he's able to act. It changes, it changes the way that he lives and acts because he's able to understand what someone else is thinking. And I want you just to think for a minute that in your everyday life, in whatever situation you're in, that you literally have this access to, to, like Jesus is standing there next to you, and you have access to what he is thinking about your situation. And that means if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you're talking to somebody who is a difficult person, right? we talked about that a few, few months ago, difficult people in our lives, you might be having this conversation and you're disagreeing with someone and you're feeling frustrated, but you actually have access to the God who can sit there and say, let me tell you what I think about this person. And I love that person. And I love you. And, and God, that, that same Jesus, his mind that we have access to tells us how he feels about us. I made you. I formed you. I see you. I love you. Right? And maybe even then in a situation where we're stressed, like how many of you have been stressed this week about something in your life? Right? I have. And in those moments, we can, we can say, okay, God, this thing in front of me feels like lack. It doesn't feel like abundance. It feels like scarcity. But Jesus, what do you think about this situation? You know, and just like when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and the storm comes in and they're freaking out and Jesus is there napping. He's like, I got this, guys. We're cool. But we can begin to ask God to show us, to open our eyes, to see his perspective and to say, okay, maybe he sees this situation in my life a little differently than I do. 
And maybe there's things in the spiritual realm that I can't see right now, things that God knows about that I can't see. And so we begin to pray and ask the Spirit to shape us and ask us to give us God's wisdom and God's perspective and his thoughts for our life. Because I guarantee you, the way that God sees you and your story and your situation is far different than the way that you see it. And so I think, you know, for myself, I can have these moments where, you know, whether it's my diabetic levels are off and I can freak out and I can have this panic moment. But if I stop for just a minute, I can say, okay, God, give me your perspective here. Tell me what you see in my situation. And maybe like the psalmist who asks God to open our eyes to wonderful things in his law. And like Elisha, who asks for his servant's eyes to see the abundance of God in a difficult situation, God wants to begin to open our eyes to see the abundance that is all around us. So that first thing we need to do then is to begin to ask God, ask God to open our eyes, ask him to change our, our hearts so we, so we don't default to that scarcity mindset, but rely on his perspective. And then the second thing that I think we can do is as God begins to change our hearts, as he shapes our mind, as he makes us aware of his of his version of reality, the second thing we do is that we, we begin to choose to seek God's abundance. We choose to seek God's abundance. And I really think this is circular. This is sort of this, um, as you read through the Bible over and over, you're going to see this line between God doing something in us and us choosing obedience to participate with him, right? It's that, it's that line of God says you need to have faith and you need to have works to show that your, your faith is, is living, um, but the, the God, God is what who changes us. God is what produces those good works in us. But there's an act of obedience, right? There's an act of choice. And so maybe there's a part of us, too, that needs to remember the horror story. And remember that we also need to learn to look up. When difficult situations come, we can remember the goodness of God that we've already experienced. And we can choose to fix our eyes on God and to believe, once again, that he can do more than we ask or imagine. There's actually a lot of passages, especially in the Psalms, if you look, um, this idea of lifting our eyes up to the hills, lifting our eyes up to the mountains. And the psalmist says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And so it's this really tangible re reminder, super simple, but just when we feel stressed, when we're looking down, when all we see like that horse is just the worms and the gross and the, the hard things in life, God says, I want you to stop. I want you just to look up, look up for a minute and remember that I'm there. And sometimes this is actually really a simple thing we can do. In fact, I was talking to someone last week, a friend of mine here at church, and she was saying, you know, she still has difficult things come up in her life. She's, she's following God. She's, she's immersing herself in his word. But difficult things still happen, right? But she said now when those difficult things come, even though maybe her first reaction is, is panic or anxiety or whatever, she stops and she says, okay, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray about this. And do you know that that is such a beautiful picture of choosing faith? That is a subversive act because it is saying, it is saying yes, I see the difficulty in the world. I see what feels like scarcity. Um, and yet I'm choosing to look up. I'm choosing to say that scarcity doesn't have the final word here because I have a God who is bigger, because I have a God who is creative and a God who is holding me in the midst of all this. And I want to make this clear too. I know I've said this in the past. It is okay, it is normal for us to have emotions like anxiety and fear and overwhelmed. If you have those feelings, that doesn't mean that you're doing the Christian thing wrong or that somehow you don't have enough faith. That is, it's a human reaction, right? 
We can't always control those things. It's what we do with those feelings that is, that's what God wants, right? He wants us to surrender those feelings and say, okay, when you have those, lean into me. Give those to me. Lift your eyes up and trust that I've got this, that I'm holding you, right? And this is our way of saying, okay, God, God begins to show us his abundance, and now we're also choosing to be seekers of abundance, and I, I think if you reframe it that way, even for, for my life, there's a, there's a part of me that feels like when I start to think about seeking God's abundance, it almost feels like I'm on this holy adventure. Like, I don't know what's coming, God. I really don't. But you do, and I have to believe that you're doing something that's amazing, that's, um, that's beyond what I can see. And so even with our kids, we might tell them, you know, look for the positive things today. Don't just look for the negative things. Look for the positive things. And we can do that for ourselves. We can say, okay, God, I want to start being someone who collects examples of your abundance to then tell other people, this is what God has done in my life. And we can, we can be that witness to God of who he is and what he has done. And that's a powerful thing. Even this week, um, I had to remind myself, uh, I just had this, this one moment where something unexpected came up. And I know our verse from last week, we talked about how um, God says, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And I had to like sit there and pray with my husband on the couch. And I'm like, at all times, in all things, in all, okay. You know, because I, I get it. Like things come up and they throw us off. But even as I prayed that, I started to feel, okay. God has been there for me before, and this is, this is his problem. It's not actually mine, and I need to let go of that because he can show me his abundance. So as we wrap up today, I want to kind of end with this, um, this psalm of David, Psalm 27, 13 through 14, and maybe you've heard this. Um, and there, this passage, just so you know, I was reading a commentary about it by Harry Magan, and uh, the commentator says that when, that when David wrote these words, it was clear they were written during really tumultuous times for him. And I don't know if some of you feel like you're going through tumultuous times right now, uh, but this is what the psalmist says. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I think this verse is a powerful reminder that sometimes we have to hold on to this truth even when we can't see it. That hold on to the confidence that we will see God's goodness after we die. Not just, not just in eternity, but there is goodness for us to see of God here in this world, in this life. But sometimes we feel like we have to wait for it. And we're going to talk on, um, in the next couple of weeks, actually, we're going to get to hear a story of a friend of mine um, that I think is this beautiful example of sometimes how, how we have to wait. And we don't always see that goodness immediately, but God is still working. But as we close out today, I just want you to, uh, to realize that God might see your story a lot differently than you do. And maybe, maybe you're, you're, you might feel like the horse today. Or you might feel like the servant of Elisha. And maybe for you today, you, you're like, okay, God, you know what? I, I, um, I don't always remember that I have access to the mind of Christ. I don't always remember that I have your spirit to teach me and guide me and open my eyes. And so maybe your prayer today is, God, open my eyes because I just don't see your abundance right now. And I need eyes to see that. 
Or maybe you feel a little like the horse and you're like, okay, God, all right, I've seen you work. I've seen you do amazing things. And I'm choosing today to lift my eyes up to you. I'm choosing today to trust even when I don't feel like it. And so last week, I know I, I sent you with the verse um, from, oh my gosh, here we go. I lost it. Maybe you remember the verse anyway, because uh, clearly I do not. But um, the verse from last week that I left you was, was, was the idea that um, we remind ourselves that in all things, having all that we need, we can abound in every good work, right? That when God calls us to something, when he puts something in our path to do, he's going to give us everything that we need for it. And this reminder of his abundance. And today I would just send you with the idea from Psalm 27, 13 through 14. Just, I would just ask you to put this somewhere or just remind yourself to have confidence that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for him. And I believe, I believe that no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what situation, that God sees it differently and he can do more than you ask or imagine as we wait on him. God, I just want to thank you for um, your goodness. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're this creative God and that you, um, that you see things so much differently than we do. And God, I pray that you would open the eyes of everyone here to see, to see your spiritual world, to see the goodness that you have for us. Um, and God, that you'd give us a change of perspective that we wouldn't lean into fear, but that we would lean into faith and lean into your reality and the way you see things. And God, for those who are struggling, for those who are feeling down and just discouraged, God, I pray that you would help us to wait. Help us to wait and to expect your goodness and to believe that you care and see us. And um, we love you and just ask for your um, eyes to see more of your abundance this week. Amen.